All right, Northbrook. Well, if you haven't already, as Randy just read, you can turn to Psalm 130. That is where we're going to be. Um, and Randy, as you uh, know already, started our series last week um, with an encouraging and just awe-inspiring view of the God of Psalm 46. And as we just continue to pour over these psalms, uh, I really have a, a clear goal. Uh, as, as we think about mining these ancient prayers for this modern moment we're in, and by modern moment, I mean, obviously everything that we're experiencing right now, one of the reasons we're even obviously doing this, but also the, just our reality, where we're facing in life that is much beyond uh, COVID-19. Uh, I wanna convince us of uh, this. I want us to, uh, to know and understand and believe that these psalms are, are the prayers that our soul needs, uh, that, that the prayers that we're seeing are, are the very prayers that, that our souls deeply need. I, I want us to come out of this series uh, more quick and more willing to cry out to God, crying out in the ordinary day-to-day -day of life, um, and crying out in, in times of desperation. So like even in the, the, the depths of the truths that we're um, dwelling on and looking at, uh, I, I think there's also something to realizing that these crying out in these ways can also be something that we do just in the day-to-day, -day, in the ordinary of life. Uh, I was actually, I just finished this book uh, by Jackie Hill Perry called um, Gay Girl, Good God. And in it, she um, has this moment where she's just at work um, she is uh, helping people, and then in that moment, she's faced with temptation. And, and I love how she kind of depicts it because she talks about how from the outside, nobody would see that anything was going on. But in reality, her soul was before the throne room of God pleading for his help. Um, and so often that these Psalms need to, to feed that kind of prayer in our lives in the ordinary day to day, but then also in those times where we are uh, in just desperate need uh, of God, that we would be able to use these words, that, that when we don't have words, that we're in such a hard place that we don't even know the words to pray, that we would borrow these words. Um, and, and then perhaps in prayers where we have too many of our own words, Maybe we would take a moment to, to lay some of those words uh, aside and, and pick up the very words of God and actually pray them back to God. That's what we see here uh, in these Psalms, that, that God inspired these very words. And so in our prayer life and in these moments, we should treat them with that kind of holy awe. And so in Psalm 46, we see that come what may, we are safe and secure only in our God. It actually reminds me of uh, the New City Catechism. We started with our kids and those, uh, many of you ha do that. And this is from other catechisms as well, but just that uh, question of what is our only hope and life and death. And just what my kids would recite back to me in that moment is that um, we belong to God and not ourselves. That's, that's the, the message I enjoyed and was comforted by in Psalm 46. And Psalm 46 and 130 actually have uh, a handful of similar components about them, uh, partly that we just actually don't know the context around them. Uh, that many of the Psalms, we understand who wrote them and we understand actually what they were going through when they wrote that Psalm. But Psalm 46 and Psalm 130 uh, are, are more general Psalms and we don't know who the author was and we don't know what the context 
uh, is around those psalms. But as we come to Psalm 130, it's actually a pretty clear structure. Um, and so as we get into it, I just want to kind of go through what we see in, in these verses. First, we see in verses 1 and 2 that it's just a simple uh, desire and plea for God's mercy. And then in the next two verses, in verses 3 and 4, we see a recognition of his sin and a recognition that God forgives. And this is followed by, in the next couple of verses, the psalmist resolving to wait on God and in his word. And then in the next two verses, he uh, ends with just this exhortation uh, to his community to hope in God and a promise that God will deliver them. And so with that structure, here's kind of the four points I have. There's those four kind of pieces to this psalm. And, and these are really all calls to action that I have for us. They're, they're actions that we see the psalmist take. And so actions I've, I feel like the psalm is calling us to. And so it's maybe because there's, it's such a structured psalm, I have more structure than I typically do, but hopefully you'll enjoy that. So uh, here's four things we need to do. Uh, first, we need to admit, we need to understand, we need to believe, and we need to remind. So we need to admit our depth. We need to understand that God is not in our debt. We need to believe that God's word reaches any depth, and we need to remind each other of our deliverance from our depths. So we'll see that as we go along. So in verses one and two, we see the psalmist say, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. So something happened in this man's life that, that made him awaken to his need. Uh, what depth was he crying from? Was he like the prodigal that traveled to a far land and squandered his inheritance and burned every bridge along the way? Um, had he fallen in the hands of evil men? Was he in a life or death situation with nowhere to turn but up? Uh, was it maybe even mental or an emotional pit? Maybe the world around him was ordinary as usual, but he was unable to keep himself from feeling or thinking things that he didn't want to think or feel. Uh, it, it really could be any of them. We, we really uh, don't know. But boiled down, we see a man coming to grips with his need and expressing that need with great passion to God. Now, we see this passion here. If you look in verses 1 and 2, you see that. You see, I cry to you, Oh Lord. And then, and then he, he actually kind of commands God. He says, God, hear my voice. He tells God to do something, which seems incredibly scandalous to tell God to do anything. Uh, but, but God longs for us to plead with him to hear our prayers. Um, and he tells God, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my pleas. He's crying out. He's saying, God, hear me. And he's pleading with God that there's this passion that's coming from the psalmist. Do, do you pray with this kind of passion? And, and I don't necessarily mean every prayer, but, but are any of your prayers filled with this kind of passion? That's one of the things the psalms do, again, is they, they teach us how uh, we should pray. Um, and if not, why not? If your prayers aren't this honest and this clear, uh, and this passionate with God, what, what's getting in the way of that? Uh, I think there are just a handful of common reasons that we don't pray with the, the kind of passion that this psalmist has. One is we, we just think we actually kind of know what needs to happen, like in our lives or in what's going on or in the world. We just kind of have it figured out. And so usually, perhaps in those kinds of moments, our prayers are just, you know, getting God to confirm what we already know to be right 
or just some kind of religious activity that we want to feel better about uh, what's going on in our life. Um, but, but we just kind of think we already know what should happen. Um, and so prayer is just kind of a ritual that we go through. Um, I, I think an example would be something I even mentioned uh, last week in the welcome. Um, as we start to think about, you know, we, we, as I said last week, we, we're still not really sure when we're going to get to gather physically. Um, you know, there's could potentially be as soon as June, depending on some, how things kind of go. But um, as Texas at least starts to think about reopening and figuring out what it looks like to kind of get back to somewhat of a, of a normal, even in the midst of all of this, uh, there, there's just a lot that comes with that. Um, and, and I think as we consider that, um, and, and we, we think about um, h- how unlikely we can be uh, to pray about how we even think about that, how unlikely we can be to even pray about how we feel like we're responding to, to all of that. And we, cause we already do, we just think we know how we're supposed to respond um, instead of, uh, considering about praying for people who are really concerned about starting to gather again, or praying for people that are chomping at the bit to gather again. Like if you're in one of those camps, have you taken a moment to pray for those in the other camp uh, and consider them and consider uh, praying for them and what, what, um, what the Lord might have for you uh, in that? But again, I think we're less prone to pray because we just think we know what should happen. Um, and we're less prone to pray for each other. But I think this would be a very real opportunity, uh, an encouraging opportunity for us to lay down our imagining that we do know um, and, and consider the other person. I love what um, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, I've really been enjoying that as we've been going through that in the CBR. Uh, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Uh, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Um, and this, this is a great uh, example that we may pray to God, but we don't really need him to answer because we already know what to do. What, that's what Paul is saying here. So our prayers are more of this just kind of religious activity. Um, and we're less prone to pray for each other. and We're less prone to even pray about how we should interact or how we should think uh, about any situation, much less all that's going on uh, in the world right now and how everybody uh, is responding to it. Uh, but again, this gives us an opportunity to lay down imagining that we know and extend grace to each other and ask God to keep our unity in Christ as more important than our views of how we should respond to gathering or not. And this will enable us to actually gather with full hearts. And this will actually enable you to take part in precautions, even if you feel like they're unneeded out of love for each other. And so ask God, uh, what it looks like for you to consider each other and all of this. And to be honest with you, just to be clear, I have seen no sign of this at Northbrook yet, but I, I want to lead us uh, with God's word and I want us to consider the ways we might be tempted to respond um, and all of this and how we might be tempted to respond poorly. Because God, again, isn't calling us to know exactly how to respond, but he's calling us to love our brothers and sisters and show off the beauty of the gospel and uh, all of this. Um, And just to help you give kind of a wide breadth of information, on Monday we'll post on the Facebook uh, page just some articles that are at least thoughtful and considering from different perspectives um, on all of this. So if you're just in one kind of rabbit hole, maybe this will give you you an opportunity to hear from some 
uh, just thoughtful voices that have uh, some helpful things to say, whether you agree with it all uh, or not. And so that was a bit of an aside, but one of the reasons we don't cry out like the psalmist is because we think we already know, whether it's about all that's going on right now or just in life. We, we don't pray where we think we don't need God. Uh, another thing we don't, another reason we don't pray like the psalmist is because we just don't know how to be honest. I say this all the time, and I think I'll just kind of keep saying it forever, is that we've spent so much of our lives quieting the honest cries, the honest doubts, the fears, the anxieties, uh, that, that we have lost the ability to be completely honest with ourselves, with others, and with God. Uh, that, that's just so true for so many of us that we've just stuffed that stuff down so deep that it's just incredibly hard for us to be honest. And in this, it's really hard to trust others with those areas that we're not being honest about. And trusting others is actually one of the things you really need to do so that you actually might grow and start to understand yourself a little bit better by inviting others into those areas of your life that they might help you cry out to God. But we often don't cry out like this psalmist is because we're not willing to be honest with ourselves and definitely not with God. Uh, two more. Uh, another one is we just have bad biblical theology. Like, like we don't cry out to God because we have bad biblical theology. We think of God's sovereign rule and reign over all things, and we just kind of stop there. And the Bible says so many things about God. He, he has sovereign rule and reign over all things, and there's so much more to him as well. God doesn't just sovereignly rule all things. He also cares. He also loves. He also desires to know what's troubling his people. He, he longs to know that. But we think he rules all things and knows everything, so I, I just don't need to cry out to him. I don't need to tell him. He, he already knows what's going on, and we forget that we have a good dad. And, and he wants to hear what is troubling you, um, and so you can cry out to him. And then lastly, and, and this is the hardest one, we, we struggle to cry out because we've cried out for a really long time. We have things in our life that we've been crying out, maybe that are really hard, and we've been crying out for many days, many weeks, many years, um, and you've, you've just stopped because uh, it's, it's just been too hard. Um, you feel like you've cried out and there's been no change. You've seen zero fruit from your prayers. You just feel like God doesn't care. And brothers and sisters, I don't have any silver bullet for you in any of that. Um, to, be, to be stuck here is hard. Um, and, and the stronger the desire, uh, the, the harder it is to be stuck. It really is. Um, I would just offer you one suggestion. Just don't be stuck by yourself. Um, invite brothers and sisters into this with you. Um, inviting people into this with you will keep you from the isolation that comes from this. It could even potentially keep you from some wrong thinking that begins to develop. It can maybe help continue to keep your heart soft, even in the midst of this hardness. Um, and it just gives other people the opportunity to bear this burden with you. We, we are, if this is you, the community around you actually has been called to bear that with you. And if you keep that from us, we, we aren't able to do that. Uh, and so would you, would you allow us to, to bear that with you? But we need to admit our depth and cry out to God from it. What is the depth that you're crying out from right now? Even as you think about that, Jesus cried out from his own depths in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the cross, and Jesus endured the depths of the cross that we might be able to cry out to God. 
And so we should avail ourselves to that. The psalmist goes on in verse 3. It says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And so, again, we need to admit our depth, but we also need to understand that no matter our depth, God is not in our debt. Whatever depth you're crying from, you're crying to a God who doesn't owe you anything. Often even our self-inflicted depths can stir up our ability to, to blame God for our struggle. How often have we said, God, why don't you change me? Why do you have to keep letting this happen? Um, but our psalmist is not passing blame, but accepting it. He, he knows if the Lord should mark iniquities, if God was to, to keep track and hold him accountable for his rebellion and sin, he could never stand. Consider the depth you're crying out from. There's so many depths in our lives uh, that we can cry out from. Are you struggling with difficult kids? I remember one of the depths we cried out from a long time ago, and this may sound flippant, but there was a, a season where Nate, uh, many years ago, was just not sleeping, and we about went crazy. Uh, and it sounds comical, and parts of it probably were, but it was also one of the worst things we've ever experienced. Um, and, and there was a point where we realized we almost felt weird asking people to pray for us, but we're like, man, this is a really significant thing in our life that's affecting every other aspect of our life. We should ask people to pray for us, and we should cry out to God uh, about this. What, what's the depth you're crying from? Is it, are you struggling um, with difficult kids, whether it's sleep or obedience or even just the unknown that comes with parenting? Are you struggling with singleness? Are you struggling in your marriage? Are you struggling even just to fit in? These or any other depth that we can cry from, none of these struggles um, in any, or in any other place in our life put God in our debt. Um, because again, if God could rightly mark all your iniquities, and in doing so, he would simply just be acknowledging reality that you are in his debt. He is not in our debt. But God, he made a new reality. And we see that in verse 4. With this God, there is forgiveness. See, here's the thing. God does not owe you anything. But in Christ, he gave you everything. So whatever we're struggling with, whatever you even think you might be entitled to, you have actually been given so much more than that. And brothers and sisters, that is the fight that we're in to believe. Uh, is to, to really believe Christ is sufficient in all of those struggles. And, and he really, he really is. We have been given so much more. If Jesus is who he says he is, then we've been given so much more than any of those things. Uh, and if he's not, then we, we have no hope. And it's interesting, he, he, he extends this forgiveness and he, and he says it, he does it so that he may be feared. Isn't that kind of a, a curious a wordplay, that, that forgiveness that, that leads uh, to fear. That's not how we would typically think about that. But really, the, with the power to forgive, there is much to fear. Because if someone can forgive you, they have power over you. You've wronged them and you've put yourself in their debt. And to accept their forgiveness is to admit that you have sinned against them. I love what Alec Moyer says about this. He says, nowhere is the full, awesome reality of the divine nature more present than in the bestowal of forgiveness. 
saying that God in all his grandeur and his glory is seen so clearly in his forgiveness towards his people. The psalmist is, is simply saying he's a sinner and there is nowhere else he can go but to the all-powerful, all-knowing God of the universe. It reminds me of Hebrews 4.13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Often we're crying out of the depths that make us doubt God and minimize the great, great debt we find ourselves in. And Psalm 130 encourages us to cry out honestly about any of those doubts, but in so doing, not forgetting our great need. In suffering, we just simply easily minimize our need for forgiveness. But our loving God wants us to see our great need and know that it's available through Christ. Brother and sister, don't believe the lie that your circumstance or your sin is more plentiful than God's redemption. Don't demean the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in that way. If, if that is happening, ask a brother or sister to, to remind you. If you aren't a Christian, reach out to us and let's talk about this God that forgives and is merciful and full of steadfast love towards you. This really is in large part the depth that the psalmist is crying out of, his, his great need for forgiveness from God. He realizes his sinful rebellion and he can't, it can't be repaid on any of his own doing. If you haven't cried out in that same way, uh, I pray that you would. And so we need to admit this depth that we're in, that we're crying out from. We need to understand that God is in no way in our debt. And then thirdly, we need to believe that God work, God's word reaches any depth. Go on to verses five and six. It says, I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. And so in, in this context, the psalm, uh, the, the, the word that this psalmist is hoping on is the word of forgiveness offered by God. The psalmist is saying, I know there is forgiveness in you and I'm waiting for you to deliver me. I'm waiting for you to, to, to give me your word of forgiveness. And with the psalmist, we must believe that God's, God's word reaches any depth, that there's no darkness too, gar, too dark, that God's word can't shine light. There's no place too far that God's word can't reach. There's no sin too big for God's word to breathe life. There's no suffering too deep that God's word can't bring healing. And, and what the psalmist says that's so encouraging, he's saying, I'm, going to run, I'm not going to run to anything else or seek anything else. He isn't going to leave this pet sin to the side saying, if God doesn't, then I still have this. He isn't holding on to hurt saying, if God doesn't, then I, I still have this power. He isn't holding on to an addiction saying, well, if God doesn't, then I still have this to turn to. He isn't holding on to his reputation. He isn't holding on to anything else. He is saying, I'm going to wait on God's deliverance. And if he doesn't save me, I won't be saved. If he doesn't deliver, no deliverance will come. From the depths of his soul to the rest of his body, he is betting everything on this God. And that is why he makes this deep soul cry. Sometimes I wonder if our prayers are feeble uh, because we're not really betting everything on God. That, that, that we're hedging our bets. That, that yeah, we want God to deliver us, but if he doesn't come through, we're going to we're going to go about it in some other way. The psalmist is not doing that. As you consider the depth you're crying out from, what does it would even look like to, to completely bet on God and his word to deliver you? I love the, the, just the picture of the watchman awaiting the dawn 
for the sun to, to sign and, and to, for the sun to rise and be the sure sign that deliverance has come. How fitting that we look to the rising of the sun in the same way. As you think about the watchmen and them looking for the rise of the sun for the deliverance, we, we look to the resurrection of Jesus in that same way as the sure sign of our deliverance. Even as you think about the watchmen and the world they're on revolving around the sun, even though they didn't know that very reality, that even now for every one of us, our, the world and everything they're in revolves around Jesus as he holds it all together, whether we acknowledge it or not. And there's, there's so many more comparisons we can make. Um, but here's what is, is good news, is that the deliverance came for this psalmist. It came. How, how did it come? Did God bring his word to mind? Did he bring uh, another uh, scripture to mind? Did he say, I've called you by name and you are mine and I have redeemed you? Uh, did, did just the warmth of forgiveness flood where conviction was reigning? Uh, did a, a, a brother or sister remind him of who God is and, and what he has done for him? I, we, we don't really know, but we do know it came because if we look at verse 7 and 8, and, and this is the psalmist saying, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. We know mercy, forgiveness, and hope came because the psalmist is sharing from what he's received. He finds this word of hope too sweet a meal to keep to himself, too priceless a treasure to not freely hand out. And just like the psalmist, we need to remind each other of our deliverance, of how God has delivered us. He, he, the psalmist isn't hoarding this God, this good news, this word of hope. He's sharing it with anyone that will listen. And I think about, as, as we think about sharing that with one another, uh, what does that look like in, in Northbrook? What does that look like in the life of Northbrook? I, uh, finishing uh, Life Together by Bonhoeffer. And he says, just a, it's almost just a passing statement, but he's talking about even how hard it can be to mention the name of Jesus, even among fellow Christians. That, that, that even among Christians, it can be so hard and uncomfortable at times just to talk about the good work that God has done in our lives and in our midst. Um, do you struggle to bring up Jesus even as someone who claims to follow him? And that we would be a people that are committed to sharing the gospel and word or deed with anyone that will listen. But I would encourage us to start with each other. Like before we even think about going to the world and sharing the gospel in word and deed, how good are we at sharing the gospel uh, with each other? The more we can grow in seeing how the gospel applies to every aspect of our life, and the more we can articulate that, the easier it will be to talk about this good news with people that don't yet believe it. Just consider your life and when did that word of forgiveness first come to you? What's it like to talk about that with your brothers and sisters? What did it save you from? How has it changed you? Not in a everything's perfect kind of way, but in a loving God and enjoying Him and trying to follow Him. How's the gospel impacting your life even now? How is, is this word that God has given you of deliverance and hope in Christ, how is that impacting your life even now? Maybe you need to be reminded about that and take some time to, to answer some of those questions and talk about that in the midst of your community. But in, in closing, I just want to restate these points uh, in the midst of community. 
Like, what, what does it look like for us to, to do these things together? What if in, in community uh, we cried out together? That we weren't just praying these, these kind of prayers of desperation by ourselves, but that we were actually praying them with each other. And, and let's be honest, we, we might need to start by ourselves. But then what would it look like for us to come together and invite our brothers and sisters into these very prayers? What if we humble ourselves before God together, realizing again that he is not our debt? What if we did that before our community? Come and confess our sin and confess our need for him and and walk in repentance with each other, in front of each other, that we might share the blessing of that forgiveness that God extends to one another? What if we would wait with each other? And there's so much to do in waiting. And to be honest with you, there's so much not to do in waiting. Like often waiting with each other is just about being with each other. It's even just about knowing what's going on in each other's life and not, not trying to offer too many words, but trying to offer a lot of compassion and a lot of love and a lot of presence. What would it look like for us to wait with each other? I hope you've had the joy of, uh, you know, pleading with the Lord, walking with someone that maybe has lost their job and pleading with God to provide and then seeing God provide. Or you've had the joy of walking with a couple uh, that has longed uh, to get pregnant and pleading with God with them and for them on behalf of them and then seeing God provide. And when we wait with each other, the, the joy that comes when we get to share in God's work and deliverance in those areas of our lives is, is so sweet. And then finally, let's remind each other of God's present and future deliverance. That, that we get to enjoy God's plentiful redemption together. We get to remind each other of God's steadfast love. And ultimately, we get to see the culmination of God's plentiful redemption on that day when we will be redeemed of all our iniquities. That there will be no shadow left, just light. What a day to remind each other of. Let me pray for us towards this end. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have given us this prayer. That you are leading us with this prayer. That you are teaching us with this prayer. That you're teaching us your truth about who you are. But you're also teaching us the truth about, about how we need to pray. About how we can pray in the midst of life in the midst of the day-to-day, in the midst of the really hard things uh, we continue to struggle with. And so, Spirit, would you help us? Would you help us realize the need that we have to cry out? Spirit, would you lead us in that as you intercede for us? Would those cries from our soul, um, would we not dampen them? Would we not um, silence them? And would we not uh, experience them absent from you, but would we go before the throne of God, crying out to you, with the desires of our heart, with the hurts of our soul, with maybe the mundane things that are wearing us down, or the longings we've had for many years that just seem to go unmet? And then, Spirit, would you do just the immense miracle of helping us do that with each other? 
Not just alone in our closet, although I pray we would do that. But actually inviting each other. And I think about as this psalm was saying in community. That Israel would sing this song together as they came up to worship. They weren't, it wasn't just this individual thing, it was this communal thing. So would you do that kind of work uh, in our midst? As I think about even the song we're about to sing. God, would you, would you do this kind of work in us as we just echo the reality that I will wait for you. I will wait for you. And on your word, I will rely until my soul is satisfied. And our restless hearts, would it, would it find its rest and satisfaction in you? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.